I'm, I want to follow through on a theme that you've been uh, already uh, looking into the last few months, and that is faith, faith. Faith is, uh, is a very um, strong part in Judith and our lives. We, we have lived for over 30 years, uh, not being employed by an organization we started, any organization that we started, and we, we have seen the provision of the Lord in lots of different ways, and as you can see, it's looking quite bad. <laughs> We've discovered that Jesus actually pays much better wages than most churches. <laughs> it's only a thought. Don't let it worry you. So I want, to, I want to share with you from Hebrews 11 and verse 1. It says this, What is faith? It is the confident assurance of what we hope for is going to happen. I know when some people talk about faith, they, they almost talk about it with their fingers crossed. They treat it like, you know, Santa Claus and Father Christmas, tooth fairies and whatever. I want to share with you today that faith has much more substance than that. Faith is much more concrete than that. And by the time we finish this morning, the grace that's on me, which will impart faith to you as you listen, um, you will find the reservoir of faith begin to rise within you and things that maybe have been dormant for some time, you're going to be able to take off the shelf and begin to believe again for the things that seem to be way outside of your capacity. I, I want to just share four things on faith. Faith, first of all, is an attitude. Faith is an attitude. Faith is an attitude by which we receive God's word into our heart and faith responds readily with actions. It's not possible to have a negative mindset and positive faith. It's not possible to be speaking negatively and have positive faith. Faith is an attitude. It says in Hebrews 4 and verse 6, it says this, it still remains that some will enter into the rest. Those who had formerly had the gospel preached to them, preached preach to them, did not go in because of their disobedience. Did you know it's possible to refuse faith? I think all of us in this room have had that experience. God has spoken to us, something's happened in our hearts, and we've said, oh, we'd like to do that. It's seems too scary, it seems too outside of our comfort zone, or oh, maybe someone else will do it. And we, although we've had faith imparted to us, we've actually refused to, to operate on the faith that we've actually been given. There are two words in the New Testament for unbelief. One is apistia, that appears unbelief, and there's another word called apitheata, which means disobedience. And in Hebrews 4 and verse 6, that is the word that is used. So we can have faith, we can have the confidence of God, but still not actually implement it. And it's possible to refuse faith, but then it's possible to receive faith. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, it says this, For by the grace given to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Did you know you have faith? Sometimes they say, oh, I don't have much. Well, you only need a little bit to move a mountain, Jesus said. You've got faith. There's faith inside you. Sure, we can grow our faith. We can increase the muscle of our faith. But already, right now, in this room, you actually have faith. In your heart, you have faith. And we've received that. You know, some years ago, I was traveling in Poland. And I was traveling from Gdansk in the northern part of Poland down to the southern part in Katowice. I changed trains in a place called uh, Poznan. And I got off the train, had a good cup of 
Polish coffee. Polish coffee is just an excuse of liquid caffeine. Two cups of that, guaranteed not to sleep for 72 hours. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful experience. Um, anyway, I got off. That was all good. I got back on the train. My, my train came. I'm carrying my bag, and I'm carrying my briefcase, and I'm walking down to find my seat. And, and these huge guys pushing past me. They smelled really bad and dried alcohol on their co- uh, clothes. And, and they pushed back and uh, pushed past me. And, and, and as they'd gone, I realized it was a bit of a scam. Because as they were kind of pushing past me, someone pickpocketed me and took my wallet. That was a little serious because in my wallet was my passport, my train ticket, all my credit cards, and about 200 US dollars. And I'm standing there shocked. And I start shouting, I've been robbed, I've been robbed. And nobody is taking a blind bit of notice. Maybe they don't understand. A Welshman screamed in English in the middle of Poland. I don't know. Anyway, the ticket, the, the ticket lady came and I explained to her. She said, how long ago was that? I said, it was only two minutes. She said, oh, if it's two minutes. Those boys have long gone. She says, when you get out, when you get off of Katowice, there's a police station that just go and report. I said, well, I don't even have a ticket to travel. She says, no, no, I believe what's happened. You can travel. And so I stood there absolutely shell-shocked, thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to get a birth certificate sent through, going to have to go up to Warsaw, get my passport done, have a cancel. Oh, I'm thinking of all the things I've got to do. And inside, I hear this voice, which was Jesus, says, you are blessed. Mm. <laughs> you are blessed. Mm. And I learned a long time ago, it's to your advantage to agree with God. And so I just started to speak out, God, not enjoying what's happening, but I am blessed. My sins are forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I have a future which is glorious. And as I began to speak out the truth of God, there became atmospheric change. You know you can change atmosphere by what you come out of your mouth. And there was atmospheric change. And in that atmospheric change, I felt the infusion of faith come into my spirit. And I says, God... You know where that wallet is. You know where those boys are that took that wallet. God, you can bring the archangel Gabriel down from heaven and beat them up in the name of Jesus. <laughs> now, I know you're a better Christian than me, but I'm just a bad missionary. So you have to forgive me, right? So, and then this, and it says, God, you know where that wallet is. I, I ask you to bring that wallet to me. And as I'm speaking that out, somebody's coming down the corridor of the train carrying something that looks like my wallet. I says, mate, that's my wallet. And the guy spoke English. He says, really? I said, yeah, yeah, that's my wallet. He says, do you want the good news or the bad news? I says, well, give me, give me, (laughs) give me the good news. He says, well, is your name Ian Green? Yeah, but then it's your wallet. Do you want the bad news? The bad news is there's no money in it. Open the wallet, there's my credit cards, there's my passport, there's my train ticket. Give God glory, hallelujah. Wonder what had happened if I stayed in a negative mindset. See, faith, faith travels down the road of a proper attitude. Second thing is this: faith is an action. Now, some people have theological faith. 
Some people have theoretical faith. I want practical faith. And faith will always demand action. James chapter 2 and verse 17 says this. In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without your deeds. And I will show you my faith by what I do. Faith will make you do something. You'll stop talking about it. You'll stop dialoguing it. You'll stop having little conversations in your head. You'll stop making excuses. And faith will actually make you do something. See, faith in action provokes God to action. And there are, there are three things that will provoke God to action. Number one, you need to understand what God has said. Now, God speaks to us sometimes through the Bible, oftentimes through the Bible, Sometimes through a prophetic word, sometimes through the small, quiet, inner voice of God in our hearts. And when we hear the word of the Lord, it's presumption to go beyond what God has said. And it's unbelief not to go as far as God has said. And it's disobedience to go against what God has said. But once we have received the word of the Lord, it's clear, it's obvious what we need to do. We we apply God's word to what we are hearing and we go forward with action. So what has God has said? And then the second thing is you can receive the word, but you still have to be obedient to the word. You still have to do it. Because you've got it doesn't mean it's done. You know, some, some years ago we were planting churches in southern Serbia with, a, with, a, with the Roma people. And um, we many of them couldn't read or write and that was a challenge and we made it very simple and we said look just go to the city find the man of peace and then out of that will come um, a faith community and so we had this uh, brother go down there um, Miro he was a church planter and he went down drinking coffee in coffee shops eventually finds a man called Vlad as he gets to know him over three or four visits Vlad comes to the Lord and of course we had already instructed the people it's you and your household. So you got one saved in the house. Let's go for the whole, let's go for the whole skittle match. Let's go. So he got him, invited him back to his house. And after maybe a couple of weeks, all of the family, all of the family came to the Lord. And this was a time when we were kind of, you know, well, I say we, the Brits and the Canadians and others were bombing the living daylights out of Serbia, trying to get rid of Milosevic, which was, that was a bad idea. Anyway, um, they, he, he had emphysemia, so he, he got laid off at work, you know. So we says, come on, um, come on, let, let's just pray, let, pray, pray for you, Vlad. So we prayed for him, and the power of God in this man, that all the um, pain, all the discomfort in his chest immediately went from him. He's the older guy in the picture behind me. The, guy's, the younger guy with white, white, white teeth, he's the church planter. And so we... We said, okay, let's just pray now that you, you get your job back at the factory. He says, oh, you know, 92% unemployment here. And there's racism against gypsies. There's no way they're going to get my job back. He says, no, you don't understand. God's got a fantastic job agency. Let's pray. You, you get your job back. So we agreed together and we prayed. Three days later, someone comes knocking in on his door from the factory. They says, hey, Vlad, we understand that you're feeling um, a lot better. He says, no, I'm not. He says, I've been healed by the power of Jesus. I'm feeling fantastic. He says, well, look, the manager at the, uh, 
at the factory says, we can't find anybody to do the job as good as you did. We wondered if you want your job back. Come on, Come on give God praise. Well, Vlad had a little, had a little grandson. I think he's there. Yeah, there he is. You can see him right there. And he was born 95% deaf and dumb. And so we said, okay, we, we, need, we, need, we, need to, we, we need to pray. We need to pray for Daniel. So, oh, no, 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 we've taken him up to, we've taken him up to Belgrade. We've been to all these specials. They, they can't do anything. I said, yeah, but we've not yet taken him to Dr. Jesus. Let's fast and pray for three days, and then we'll, we'll come and pray. So we'll come and pray for him. So we've all fasted and prayed for three days. We got back in. We started to pray for Daniel. Spent most of the day praying, eight hours. Not a lot happened. It's okay. Let's have a day off. Have a break. Come, come back. In our second stage of fasting and praying for three days, we begin to pray for him, and something pops in his ears. So now he can hear, and now he can mouth back what he's hearing. When our, when our associate uh, leader was down there, John Smith, this was about three weeks later, he'd learned a little bit of English, and little, this little boy says, my name is Daniel, and I've been healed by the power of Jesus. Wow. <laughs> But we believe, we believe in singular salvation. We believe in household salvation. We believe in, we believe in divine healing. We believe that God wants to bless and prosper us and give us a job so that we can be a blessing to other people around us. It's all a part, but we have to take it. We have to put it into practice. We have to be obedient to what God has said because sometimes we get the word and it takes a little while to come to fruition. I think there are people in this room, you've had words from the Lord and it's not happened and some of us have given up. But now as I'm talking to you, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and you're going, I need to get that back off the shelf. I gave up on that. I got kids who are away from God. I got, I got sicknesses that I'm just tolerated. I got financial needs that are not solved. I need to get that off the table. I need to bring that. To I need to continue in the word that God has given me. We were planted in 14 churches in southern Poland. And um, <clears throat> we were interviewing some church planters, and there was a guy there called Daniel. Daniel was from the north, north of Poland, and he felt that he needed to be a part of this project. And so the way the financial structure worked, um, he really needed to sell his apartment up north so that he could buy something down south so that he could be a part of the project. We had a little problem. His apartment had been up for sale for eight years, <clears throat> and he had no visitors to look at it. Houston, we have a problem. So, Dan says, I really feel God wants me to be a part of this gig, and I am going to fast and pray until God answers my prayers. Well, I'm encouraged by the spunkiness, right? That's, that's flipping awesome. And then I get scared. I think, like, how far is he going to take this? <laughs> so he fasts and prays for three days, nothing. Five days, nothing. Ten days, nothing. Fourteen days, nothing. Eighteen days, nothing. Twenty-one days, 
nothing. It's pretty hard to get some biblical texts to go fast and pray beyond 21 days, right? 25 days, nothing. 30 days, nothing. 31 days, nothing. On the 32nd day of his praying and fasting, God sold his apartment for a honking load of money. So much so that when he moved down south, didn't buy an apartment, he bought a redundant primary school, which he converted a part of it into a place for him and his family. And at that point, he had four children. Now he has eight children. Not sure if he was starting a school or, or what. Anyway. Um, and he starts to, he kind of, the school hall he makes into like a, a reception building which he thinks he's gonna have church meetings but he discovers there's homeless people in 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 the town and so he starts feeding the homeless people and they come they come two or three times a week and then the mayor turns up and the mayor says daniel do you do you have a health certificate to serve food he says no no i don't he says well what you're doing is absolutely illegal what you're doing is illegal now, if you are prepared to do this five days a week, I'm prepared to give you a certificate and I'm prepared to pay for all the food. What do you think? So this is a Catholic government paying for a Protestant church plant. It's quite interesting. Anyway, in Poland, all the, all the mayors get together once every six months, just, you know, have a booze up and knees up and wherever you know and Daniel's mayor is just braggadocious about what Daniel's doing right so all the other mayors are you know jealous and whatever you know so Daniel starts getting all these calls from all over Poland cut a long story short right he ends up with 32 centers in Poland feeding the poor and planting churches the Norway Norwegian government find out about it. They call him up to consult with the Norwegian go government how you look after homeless people. I wonder what would happen if he'd quit on the 31st day. It's not time to quit. Hello. It's not time to quit. It's time to push through. It's time to push through. It's time to push through. You say, well, we fasted and prayed. Maybe do it again then. Maybe do it longer. Maybe get other people to partner with you. You see, we have to understand sometimes the word of the Lord doesn't come straight away. We sometimes have a battle. I mean, with, with Daniel, it says, I heard your prayers, but it took 21 days for the prayers to be answered, right? And sometimes we have to engage in that level of warfare. And fasting and praying sometimes does that as it was with Daniel. Faith demands action. Thirdly, faith is an agreement. Jesus said again, I tell, you to, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask for, it will be done for my Father in heaven. Now, this is not intellectual agreement. It's not, you know, yeah, yeah let's agree together. Yeah, that's good. In, intellect. No, no. The, that word agree is like a symphony. It's like when music melts together and it brings this brilliant sound. It's as if two or three of you are in harmony concerning the idea that I have put in your heart, then I will do it because I've already put it there. And I'm, you are cooperating with me for that to happen. And Jesus said, if you two or three of you agree, so there's an agreement. 
No matter how many promises are made, the Bible says they are yes in Christ Jesus. But did you know this? It's, it's possible to believe negatively. I think we've all done that. You know, you remember, you remember the, um, the guys who went into the promised land, 10 came back with a negative report. They said, we can't possibly do that. The walls are high, giants in the land. It's flipping ridiculous. We can't, we can't do that. It's just too much. And they believed they couldn't do it. And it worked. <laughs> How many times have you said, oh, I, I, knew, I actually knew, knew that wouldn't work. See, you put your faith into action, and it worked. Like, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged and say, I believe it didn't work, and it didn't work. Say, glory to God in the highest. That's an absolutely, that's a miracle. Praise be to God forever. Hallelujah. But Caleb, Caleb sounds the people. He says, we should go in, for we can certainly do this. You can believe you can, and you can believe you can't, and you can have you can have an outcome for both. What do you want? You believe you can, you believe you can't, you can have an outcome for both. I'm believing I can. I'm believing I can. I'm, I'm believing I'm I'm believing I'm going to get the rest of that half a million dollars by the end of this month. I'm I'm believing for that. That's that, we're on, we're on, we're on. It's happening. Believe I can. If I can't. That's all I would say is this. Faith is an assurance. It's an agreement of faith that we have this inner assurance. Hebrews 10 and verse 22 says this. Let us draw near to God with a sincere, full heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled and cleansed from a guilty conscience and having our bodies waste, washed with pure water. See, having faith... Having faith is not scary. Having faith gives you confidence. Hebrews 1, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is that confident hope. In the original word, it's like having the title deed. So for example, it may be you are a relative from England that had died. You're a third generation New Zealander, Kiwi. And... And a letter comes through the post. A letter comes through the post from the lawyer in England. And, and it says, you have been left a mansion, 450 acres. There's a garage with three luxury cars in. There was no one else to leave this to. You've inherited that. Now, you haven't seen it. You probably didn't even know they, they were related to you. But in your hand... From the lawyer, you have the title deed to all of that. It's yours. You've not seen it, but you have the legal right to it. And what faith does is this. It gives you the legal right to have what you believe in for. And you will find it harder not to believe than to believe. In fact, you will overpower unbelief by the title deed of faith, that confident hope within your heart. Some, some years ago, I, I worked for um, a youth charity in England, and, um, and uh, the car that I had got very sick. I was driving about 50,000 to 60,000 Ks a year, and 
It had died. I'd laid hands on it. I'd anointed it with oil. I cast out the demons. And then I pushed it to the garage. And that little baby, that was not going to get resurrected again. And I knew I needed a vehicle to do the ministry that God had called me to do. And I went to the kind of board meeting of this youth charity, and, and they're chatting. And one of the guys on the charity says, you know, and you, can, you can get a car from Belgium from 25% cheaper than buying it here in the UK. Same car, same model, same everything. Steering wheel on the right side of the car as well. It's fantastic. Um, so I said, how much is that? So he told me, and it was about 18 months' salary. Now, the car wasn't expensive. It just tells you something about my salary. <laughs> <laughs> and so I go, oh, okay, that's interesting. Anyway, I'm on driving home. And I said, Jesus, what, what do I do about this car? I've got to get a car. And I felt Jesus say, go for it. Go for it. Okay. Well, I'd been saving some money, you know, robbing some old people, taking the handbag, just being, you know, got, <laughs> banged a bit of money. So I rang the guy up and said, you know, mate, I need, he said, I'm, I want to do the car. He said, well, I need 25%. Well, I'd managed to save 25% of the, of the car price. So I said, look, I can send that to you now. He said, look, it'll be eight to 10 weeks because we ordered from the factories, made, made to deliver, whatever. So he rang me, he rang me about 10 weeks later. He says, the car's ready for delivery. Just a little problem. I don't have 75% of the rest of the money. I had, in fact, I had no money. I know some of you don't understand that, no money. You think no money means I've not been to the ATM. <laughs> when I say no money, I got no money, like no money. So I said, look, um, we're preaching together in a week or so, and I'll bring you the check then. So we preach together. I give him, I, we go to the back office. I give him, nervously give him this check, because I know the bank is not going to honor that check. And I'm thinking, you know what? He can have fun as well. <laughs> and so I'm driving home in a borrowed car, and I get a little, I'll get a little nervous, and, you know, the devil's on my shoulder going, hey, what you've done tonight is fraud. You've fraudulently written a check. People go to jail for fraud. I go, oh my gosh. I'm not like the Apostle Paul. I hate writing letters. I don't want to be going to jail. <laughs> anyway, I get home and I'm quite encouraged to pray a little more than I have been praying. It's amazing how that works. Um, when you think you're going to jail, that, it's, a, it's a tremendous motivator. Anyway, so I'm up an hour normally before I would. I'm speaking in tongues, I'm praying, I'm calling. And s some amazing things begin to happen. So people start pushing money into my apartment door. W wadges of money in brown envelopes. I'm at a church. Someone comes and shakes my hand. There's a whack of money in my hand. After about four or five days, the money that I need, I'm quickly depositing in my account because I'm nervous he's going to bank that check. And so, after about six or five or six days, I ring. I say, "Hey, Brian, um, where's my car?" <laughs> he says, "Oh, mate, it's very embarrassing." But know that check you gave me. 
I put it inside my coat pocket. I didn't realize there's a rip in my coat pocket. And I lost the check for five days. It went into the lining of my coat and I lost it for five days. Like, how lucky was that? I think, don't you think the Lord lost the check for my benefit? Come on. You see, you see... When you've got the assurance of faith, you're not quite sure how God's going to do it. You just know he's going to do it. We don't become predictive in how God is going to meet our needs. We just know God is going to meet our needs. And now as, as, I'm, as, I'm, as I'm speaking to you this morning, I'm absolutely convinced the reservoir of faith is filling up in your hearts. There's stuff that you put on the shelf. We're taking it back off the shelf. There are kids you've stopped praying for. You're going to start to pray for. You're going to get their picture. You're going to start prophesying over them. You're going to say, come back to the Lord in the name of Jesus. If some of us are living at home, when they're out, you're going to go up into their bedroom. You're going to lay hands on their pillow and say, Jesus, speak to my daughter, my son, in, in dreams and visions. They may be arrested to the goodness that you've got waiting for them. Right. You're going to do that, aren't you? You're going to do that. Some of you, some of you may have applied, applied for jobs. You go, oh, I don't know. No, no, no. Let's put some faith behind that. Say, Father, I'm committing my way to you. I'm believing this job is for me. If it's not this one, it's only a better one. But I'm going for it. I'm going for it. You're not going to back off. You're not going to go, oh, well, case whatever. No, no, get rid of that rubbish. Say, no, God, I'm going for this in the name of Jesus. Some of us have tolerated sickness, illness for some time. We've just put up with it now. Say, no, no, no. I'm driving that sickness out of my body by the power of the cross and by the faith that God's put in my heart. I'm not tolerating it any longer in the name of Jesus. Some of us have financial challenges, and I believe that God wants to intervene, give you some ideas, creative ideas of how some of those situations can be resolved.